In early 2021, we rang a woman we'd been speaking to regularly over the last year. She had a sexual relationship with a student, Zaid Khan. He's originally from Pakistan, but now studies in Scotland. We wanted to update her about our investigation into her case, which led us from Glasgow to Islamabad. Hi, good to speak to you again. So um, we've got information from Pakistan about the murder of Zaid Khan's partner that I want to tell you about. But I want to contrast it with what Khan told you. And he said it was his fiancée and that she had been shot dead in a university dorm because she was a journalist. He didn't know who'd murdered her. I told her we'd now proved that was all a lie. The dead woman was not his fiancée but his wife. She was shot dead in their home and he named two completely innocent people as her killers. I mean, that is just absolutely unbloody believable. She doesn't want her name revealed, so we're calling her Patty. She was in a relationship with Zaid Khan after he came to Scotland to start a PhD at Glasgow University. Patty says he became controlling and abusive. It's just been the worst experience I've ever had in my life. It's four years ago since I met him, three years ago since I reported him. She complained about his behaviour to Glasgow University. She also warned them to check into his past in Pakistan. I'm shocked and speechless and, you know, I don't know how to take it forward because, you know, it just, it's monumental. We also updated a second woman. She submitted a formal complaint about the same student to Glasgow University. We told her about our findings. I 100% think that that's relevant to what's happening now. She's Dr Rebecca Harrison, or just Becca, who was a lecturer at Glasgow University. It completely undermines any evidence that he submits to the university because he's made these false allegations and counter-allegations The two women in Scotland say if Glasgow University had listened to them, the warning signs about Zaid Khan would have become clear years ago. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Deborah Davis. I'm a reporter with Al Jazeera's iUnit. This is the final episode in our series called Degrees of Abuse. And I'm Alex Howlett. This is the second part of an extraordinary story with so many dramatic twists that have occurred during the two years we've been looking into sexual misconduct in British universities. This story confirms several wider issues we've found in our research. Universities don't hear multiple complaints about the same man together. So each individual case invariably comes down to he said, she said. They don't see the underlying pattern of behaviour. Secondly, despite what their policies say about dealing with complaints quickly, the process takes months, even years. Thirdly, and very relevant to this story, when the police are involved, the university usually stops their own investigation until the police case is over, and that just adds to the delay. So let's pick up this story. In the first part, we reported how the student, Zaid Khan, started his PhD in film studies at Glasgow University in 2017. 
The following year, he met Becker, a lecturer in film studies also at Glasgow University. We originally made contact on Tinder, on the dating app. He then said he was a PhD student looking at issues to do with gender and women's oppression in the media. Only when they met in a bar did he confess he was a student in her own department, which he deliberately hadn't told her. So that was an immediate red flag because I would just not want my personal life crossing over with my with my workplace in that way. He was also, all through this, talking about how his PhD was to do with honour killings. And he'd had a terrible experience, something from his past. And at that point, I was just thinking, I don't believe you. He then, after talking a bit more, sort of just grabbed my face and forcefully kissed me and put his tongue into my mouth and I pulled away. But that is a sexual assault. That was February 2018. Becca blocked him on social media and tried to forget about the bad date. But I also found out in around April, May of 2018 that he was going to be offered teaching with our undergraduate students. And it was at that point that I felt like I had a responsibility to the students and to other women's safety that was greater than my own reticence about reporting. So in June 2018, Becca filed a formal complaint to Glasgow University's Senate office. And within a week or two weeks, I had a phone call from someone in the Senate office saying, I've just had your complaint and there are three other complaints against him from other women outside of the university and there is a police case against him. The first complaint was from a woman who dated Khan in early 2017 and wrote to the university to say she believed he was a liar. The second was from Patty, who you heard from at the start. She's a social worker and she was in a relationship with Khan, also in 2017. The third was from Patty's friend, in support of her claims that Khan had been abusive during the relationship. Both Patty and her friend complained to the university in February 2018. Patty also reported him to the police. Zaid Khan was initially charged with stalking her. The university then told all the women they wouldn't investigate or impose any restrictions on Khan until his criminal case was over. Only in November 2018, nine months after receiving the first complaint, did the university take any action. An actor is reading messages sent to the lecturer Becca by the university's human resources department. We've been advised the charges will proceed to trial, so the clerk of Senate has decided to apply a precautionary suspension. This means a student is not permitted on campus at all, except with prior permission to attend any pre-booked support appointment. And then they'd message me to say, oh, just to let you know he's on campus. And it was just constantly triggering, constantly feeling like I wasn't being listened to and like my safety wasn't being addressed. I cannot simply say, oh, sorry, actually the man who assaulted me has a PhD supervision now. I can't come to my teaching because it's in the room next door or it's in the same building. You felt it was all being for his benefit? Oh, everything absolutely was about accommodating him. After three months, 
Another email from HR. 8th of February, 2019. The court case has been abandoned. This potentially leaves us in the position of having to lift his suspension on the basis that we have no other formal reason to continue it. Remember the criminal case related to Khan's involvement with the social worker Patty. Neither she nor Becca were told why that charge was dropped, but they assumed their university complaints would now be heard. University policy says it tries to resolve disputes in 20 working days and if not, keep everyone informed of progress. So Becca was reassured to hear from HR the case was going ahead. 27th of February, 2019. This will be your own complaint, plus the complaints from the three women who made the original complaints. But neither the combined complaint or the hearing ever happened. Only more HR emails through 2019. These are read by actors. Late April has proved impossible, so we're into mid-May now. I can confirm the committee will take place on the 29th of May. The provisional date is the 16th of October. It's looking likely it will be the 6th of December. The delays knocked into 2020. We've set the date for the 20th of February. We have a rescheduled date in the diary now, 18th of March. It's now almost two years since Becca, the lecturer, complained that Zaid Khan first tricked her into a date, not saying he was one of her students, then grabbed her and forced his tongue into her mouth. She says she won't attend the conduct committee in person because the constant delays have been so traumatic. You can hear that in the pre-recorded video evidence she submitted. This case has had a profound impact on my day-to-day life for, uh, I mean, especially the last year. Um, uh, I mean, there's no reason for me to do it. Um, I mean, I'm certainly not doing it for attention or any of the other reasons that uh, that survivors of sexual assault tend to get told that they're doing things. I will not stand by and not do everything in my power to stop a man who I know to be dangerous to women, to stop him from being in spaces where he has power and access to to vulnerable women or to women students in general. I won't do it. Zaid Khan submitted a written statement to the Conduct Committee. We've had an act to read it. I deny her claims of forcefully kissing her or holding her hands without her consent. I deeply regret if any of my word or act made her uncomfortable. He described the impact of his three-month restricted access to campus. It has been impossible to carry on research owing to this ongoing stress. It is a daunting and soul-wrenching experience. I lost my friends and peer support. This made me feel socially isolated. Due to the immense stress, the GP prescribed anti-depression pills. The day after the hearing, Becca heard they've not upheld her complaint. She asked for an explanation from one of the deputy vice-chancellors who chaired the conduct panel. 
This is from the Zoom meeting she recorded. We're basically provided with two different sets of events that, of course, or versions of the event, which, of course, are uh, from different people's perspectives. Uh, it's not that we didn't believe or, or believe more of one than the other. But that is uh, what, that is what's happened. No, it's not my perspective that it happened. I was sexually assaulted by this student. That is not my perspective. And how dare you, with the power imbalance that we're in right now, sit here and tell me that that's my perspective. But what about the combined evidence from the other three cases lodged against Khan? The Deputy Vice-Chancellor appeared confused. The other cases, that I, I don't know the other cases. Yeah, there are three women. The Senate office know about that. The head of the Senate office, which collected all the complaints, helped out. We do know about those cases, but there is nothing we can do with those at the moment. I understand your frustration with it. I don't think I you really, do. Really I really do. don't think you but do. When the police are involved, we Is have that... to wait until those other cases are completed through the criminal process. So while Zaid Khan was under investigation by the police, up to the point where his charges were dropped, the university halted their own complaints process. During our two-year investigation into universities all over the UK, we found that's common practice. We asked Dr. Anna Bull about that. She's a founding member of the 1752 Group. It lobbies for improvements in university policy on dealing with sexual misconduct. This is about the university saying, here's the behaviour that we think is acceptable for our students and staff. And if somebody breaches these standards, then we're going to take action to keep our community safe. So it's nothing to do with what goes on in the criminal justice system. So basically, just because there's a police investigation, it doesn't mean that the university should do nothing. They can put in place safety measures. They need to do a risk assessment to see if the staff member or whoever the perpetrator is, is a risk to other students and staff. So they absolutely need to be taking safeguarding measures. But as we discovered, Glasgow waited nine months from the first complaint before they took any of those steps. Time to reveal another twist to this ever-changing story. Remember the first thing that happened was that the police charged Zaid Khan over incidents with Patty, the social worker. They were in a relationship for much of 2017. Then police dropped the case against him just before he was due to stand trial. They then brought charges against Patty and her friend, who says she witnessed Khan's behaviour and also complained about him to the university. The charges against Patty's friend were dropped very quickly, but Patty spent 18 months braced for the possibility of a criminal trial for stalking Zaid Khan. Those charges were brought after Khan asked the police to investigate because he says Patty sent him angry messages when they broke up. This is where the Pakistan end of the story becomes important. When they split up at the end of 2017, Zaid Khan returned briefly to Pakistan. He sent Patty a series of messages about the killing of Sonia, who he called his fiancée three years earlier. We've confirmed Zaid Khan told several women he dated all about the tragic death of Sonia, but gave each of them a different version and never said she was his wife. He told Patty he was doing his PhD in Sonia's honour. 
there'd never been any clues about Sonia's killer until now. So he told me the murderer has been found and then I remember like a love broken heart emoji. Very dramatic at this point. I just, you know, it was incredibly bizarre. Here's what Saeed Khan wrote to Patty. We've had an actor voice the messages. The murderer of Sonia has been identified, someone named Umar Qureshi who has killed and raped many women. Good, but also sad. I mean, how she would have struggled. Patty asked him if it happened in Sonia's university dormitory, which is what he told her originally. Dormitory? Yes. He has killed nine women, all working women who lived away from families. In the first part of this story, our research in Pakistan had already proved some of that was a lie. We've been working with Sudaf Chowdhury, an investigative journalist in Pakistan. I got copies of the police files showing Sonia was his wife, not his fiancée, and she wasn't shot at her university, but in their home in Mansera in northwest Pakistan. The police report also explains how this big break in the case Catching the killer came about three years after Sonia's murder. Here's the police statement. 8 December 2017, Mansara City Police Station. Zahid Khan appeared here. He personally confirmed that Umar Qureshi and Shagufta Bibi are the murderers of his wife. After breaking up with Patty, Zahid Khan returns briefly to Pakistan and accuses these two people. So who are they? With Sayed, my fixer, we're on our way to meet them. They own the house where the murder took place. It's located next to a mosque and is facing a mountain. The house has two portions and Sonia and Zayed live upstairs. So this was the setup. Downstairs lived the family who owned the house. The husband was abroad on business but his wife and son, who was then about 15, were home on the day that Sonia was murdered in the upper story, which she and Zaid rented. And it's the mother, Shagufta, and teenage son, Umar, who are the two that Zaid Khan accused of killing his wife. That's who Sudaf is hoping to meet, along with the husband, Hafiz. This is a very conservative area, and it's taken a lot of negotiation but Hafiz has allowed me to speak to his wife and his son, and he's answering all my questions. He says his wife, Shagufta, bumped into Sonia the morning of the shooting when Sonia came downstairs to collect the milk. My wife came inside. About 15 or 20 minutes later, she heard a bang and somebody falling. There was also a scream. So she called from downstairs. Sonia? Sonia, what's happened? Why did you scream? But there was no answer. My son and wife went upstairs. They heard a door opening and the murderer ran away. There's a room at the back and there was the dead body of the girl. So the Umar Qureshi that Zaid Khan messaged Patty about is not a serial killer of nine women 
he's the teenager who lived downstairs. And it's Zaid Khan himself who's accused Umar and the mother Shagufta of murdering his wife. Based on Khan's word, both are charged with murder. Sudaf tracked down what happened next. As well as the police reports, I've also found the transcripts of what happens when they appear in court. They're read by actors. 31st January 2018. Court of Sessions, Mansehra, before Judge Altafur Rahman Khan. Mela Faidi and Venom on the part of the complainant in implicating Shagufta Nas cannot be entirely ruled out. Mela Faidi means bad faith. The complainant is Zayed Khan, so the judge is casting doubt on his credibility. Shagufta is released on bail and it's another year before she's tried. Here's a written conclusion from Judge Lubna Zaman. 3rd April 2019, no incriminating evidence is available. The complainant has not recorded any reason for charging the accused after three years. The complainant is reluctant to appear before the court, leaving the lady accused to face the agony of trial. Accused is acquitted. The following year, her teenage son, Umar, appears before a different judge who also criticizes Zayed Khan for bringing the accusations. This is Judge Sayed Asghar Shah's written conclusion. 25th September 2020, the complainant himself is not interested in trial of the case. It appears that the real facts have been suppressed by the complainant's side to extend benefit to the real culprit. Therefore, Umar Qureshi is acquitted. Zaid Khan never returned to Pakistan to give evidence. The court tried to force him to do so by issuing a warrant for his arrest, but they didn't know where to find him. The case is closed. Sonia's murder is unsolved. We've uncovered this audio from a radio station's archive. It's of Sonia traveling around Pakistan, meeting people and making a cooking show. It was considered to be a groundbreaking and brave initiative in this very traditional border region. السلام علیکم اردن کو پروگرام کرانی and claiming we weren't genuine journalists. Someone also made efforts to find home addresses for our team there. To be clear, we have not found any proof of who shot Sonia or ordered her killing. Zaid Khan was working at a local university at the time of the murder, and there's no evidence suggesting he played any role in the murder. We do know, however, that three years later, he suddenly accused his downstairs neighbor and her teenage son with absolutely no evidence. So two innocent people went through years of suspicion before the courts cleared them. As Alex found, he seems to have done the same thing back in Scotland. So first he was charged with stalking Patty, the social worker he was having an affair with. He hit back by accusing her of stalking him when she sent him a series of angry messages after they broke up. So after charges against Khan were dropped, it was Patty who found herself the one facing a trial. We told her about our findings in Pakistan. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm speechless. It's absolutely shocking that he's got away with this and left a trail of deeply traumatized victims. Then she said we needed a catch-up call about the criminal charges she was facing. We have a development. So I heard about 10 days ago, the court decided to not go ahead. You know, everyone had stated, oh, you must feel absolutely ecstatic about this. I think I was holding on to the trauma for so long that I did not feel relief. In July 2021, Glasgow awarded Zayed Khan his PhD. It's titled Feminist Documentary Making in Pakistan and says he researched into how gender-based violence deprives women of human rights. The university has told Patty they will still hear the complaint which she made three and a half years ago against Zayed Khan so it can decide on whether to offer him further study or employment opportunities. I spoke to Patty on a bad phone line. How would you like the university to view the evidence from Pakistan? Well, for me, how can this man be teaching feminism when he's actually, you know, has such a dark history? The lecturer Becker, whose complaint against Zayed Khan was dismissed, has written a new statement in support of Patty's case. But she says the university has told her it's not relevant and they won't accept her evidence. Becker is now teaching at another university. We put our findings to Zayed Khan. He told us he'd been framed and the claims made against him were arbitrary, unfounded and false and that we broadcast them at our peril. He said two of his accusers had been prosecuted, but he had not, but did not mention the charges against the two women in question had been dropped. This has been the second case from Glasgow University that we've investigated in our series, Degrees of Abuse. In previous episodes, we reported how six women believed a former lecturer crossed professional boundaries into emotional manipulation and control. Glasgow University initially responded saying it couldn't comment on either case but takes all allegations of sexual misconduct or harassment extremely seriously. It said the university investigates cases fully and provides support and counselling for anyone who needs it. Then last week, the university principal sent a statement to all students and staff announcing it would undertake an independent external review into how sexual harassment cases are reported. Professor Sir Anton Muscatelli said he was deeply sorry that any member of the university has been subjected to abuse or harassment and felt unsafe or unsupported. He said the university can and will do more. There have also been developments after our first two episodes reported on professors accused of decades of abusive and drunken behaviour. Both teach at Oxford University, or rather did. Last week, the history faculty responded to demands for action from past and present students and staff following our podcast. Professor Peter Thompson hasn't been fired, but he'll no longer have contact with students through teaching or social events. And both the English faculty and Pembroke College 
have confirmed Andy Orchard remains a professor but won't be teaching Anglo-Saxon to undergraduates or master's students. Professor Orchard has also withdrawn from all non-teaching responsibilities at his college and several other academic organisations have distanced themselves from him. His previous employer, Toronto University, had already announced a review of his sexual violence policies. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this series and want to speak to someone, we've compiled a list of helplines and support organisations. Details are available on our website, ajiunit.com. Degrees of Abuse is reported by me, Alex Howlett and Deborah Davies. It was produced by Kevin Hurton and audio edited by Craig Pennington and Leo Sofoyanis. Sound mixed by TVC Soho. Joe DeFries is the executive producer and Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. Thank you for listening to Al Jazeera Investigates and please subscribe to catch new episodes.